that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 51, Revenge of the Nerds, part 3, The Next Generation, and I'm your host, Mike, the nerd, and welcome to another school-filled episode. It's September, which means back to school, and that means I wanted to do a school-related movie. And while there are a few high school part 3 movies out there, I decided to do a college part 3, but... Nevertheless, I still invited my good old unofficial co-host, Mr. School himself, Brian Rodriguez, to chat about academics on this fine episode. Brian and Kyle, who was on my last episode, were at the beach all summer and recorded a bunch of beach-themed episodes, some of which will be brought up on this show today. So when you're done listening to this, go listen to those fine shows as well. Speaking of shows, be sure to check out The Monsters That Made Us the last Friday of every month, where Dan Colon and myself discuss the original Universal Monster movies. Um, I guess that's all for now. I'm going to try and keep this intro short and sweet. So without any further ado, let's get on with it. Grab your pocket protector, get your thick black framed glasses, and your personal home computer, because it's time for Revenge of the Nerds. Back to school season here on Third Times a Charm. So, of course, there's only one person that I could think of to come join me, welcoming back my unofficial co-host and, I guess, official school consultant, Brian Rodriguez. Welcome back to the show, sir. I don't know how much of an unofficial co-host I am. It's been a while. You know, I've been away from Third Times a Charm. Well, that's why it's unofficial, because you're not here every time. You're not my Andy Richter. You're not my Ed McMahon. You're not, I don't know, did Arsenio have a (laughs) co-host? You're none of those. So it's great to have you uh, when you're available. And yes, thank you so much for taking time out from your mojitos and sandcastles. You are still at the beach. First of all, I just got to say, I'm a little jealous uh, (laughs) that you're spending so much time watching all these beach movies with Kyle. Uh, I've been (laughs) listening to some episodes and, you know, I know we just did our giant Cory saga, but man, like, uh, these are good episodes. Why don't you explain to uh, the listeners what the hell I'm talking about? I've been thinking about you a lot lately for that very reason. As you know, obviously, because it was exhausting, but you were on High School Slumber Party for our long Cory and Cory, two Corys, Corinthians, one. <laughs> we, we did a bunch of Cory Heyman, Cory Feldman movies, and I said I would give you the summer off. I could see why you'd be jealous, because then I realized the summer involved me and Kyle on our rented home on San Emilio Island, USA, and we're talking beach movies there, and it's been exciting, but there's been a couple times, specifically one of the last ones we covered, where I was like, ooh, you know what, Mike would have been great. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it, when you when you started rifling off like the amount of beach movies there were, and you got to like, oh, and this one's actually an official uh, part three to that, and I was like, wait a minute, what's going on? <laughs> Crossover potential. But then you're right. Uh, my Corey fatigue set in and reminded me, and sort of kicked the back of my head, and was like, no, 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 you're you're good for now. Yeah, and that that was actually Bikini Beach, and I wanted to talk to you about Bikini Beach, because Bikini Beach, the third in the Beach Party franchise, and if your listeners are not familiar with the Beach Party franchise, if you will, in the early 60s, they made these movies called Beach Party Movies, and it's Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello, and they're just on the beach, and hijinks ensue, and that's literally it. Yeah, like rando celebrity cameos, sort of like the old Batman TV show. They just, people would just pop yes. up for no reason. <laughs> yes, it's very, very similar to the old Batman show. That's what we were, uh, we've commented on that for L- sure. A lot of go-go dancing. Yeah, exactly. And in Bikini Beach, the third of the franchise, a lot of third elements that I'm sure, now I'm sure I've been here for them, that you definitely see on third time's a charm a b the wackiness and you and i have talked a lot of camp here so i think you would appreciate it there what am i on i don't know what letter i'm on anymore but (laughs) i don't know why like i know you were not a co-host of monkey club but we've talked monkey club a lot the fact that there's a gorilla or an ape of some sort surfing in the movie and winning drag races in the movie i feel like you'd appreciate that because you're also planet of the apes fan as you are. Absolutely, so. absolutely. And four, you're a co-host of The Monsters That Made Us, and we've gotten a lot of horror legends, including the cameo for Bikini Beach. At the end, spoiler alert, was Boris Karloff, of all people. Unbelievable, considering Vincent Price also has a cameo in one of these movies. It's like, why? <laughs> they, they, couldn't, they couldn't be further apart as far as genre is concerned, but that's amazing. And also, I... I mentioned over on i think it was joey's patreon patreon episode of too fast for holy motors where it's like your show beat the monsters that made us to a vincent price movie by like one week it was so funny (laughs) yeah which is crazy crazy to think about there's a lot of tropes in beach party films and so far all the ones that we've seen and we're definitely taking a break from them we're gonna probably pick up again some other time but it's like They'll have a character that they're hinting the entire movie about. You're like, who is it? Who is it? And the first one ended up being Vincent Price, and he has a cameo. And the second one was Peter Lore, who also, you know, has some horror trajectory, but overall, just like a great actor, Casablanca and all that. Yeah, Peter Lore has come up a lot as far as turning down major roles in Universal Monster movies. Dan and I always trying to figure out, like, what his motive was or motivation and stuff. And, you know, he, he was in M, which for slang sort of masterpiece where he played a human monster but like <laughs> he pops up too that's a that's un, unreal yeah and actually he passed away it was the last film he shot was a uh, muscle beach party which is the second one. Oh no that's kind of a sad bit of trivia for peter Lorre. but his good friend was boris karloff and he was the cameo in the third one and it's just like what is going on with these movies that is Amazing. Well, I think like by that point, it sort of becomes a tradition, you know, <laughs> it's like, let's get an old sort of horror star to come in and like scare these kids or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not in scary roles. Like, again, I know, no, we don't want to spend too much time on the Beach Party films. No, it's fine. Listen, we're going to be talking Revenge of the Nerds 3. Let's eat up <laughs> as much time before that as possible. Fair, fair. But Vincent Price in the first one is just like, I forgot his name, but he's like this dude with a hat. You see the entire movie and he's like sleeping the entire time. And then at the end, he finally like wakes up and he's like bring me my pendulum kitties and it's just like a one-line thing and it's like oh my god and peter laurie in the second one 
he is the strongest man in the world. Okay, that's kind of funny because he's like a very kind of small guy. Yeah, so the, it, it's called Muscle Beach Party. There's a lot of muscular guys, and they keep alluding to this mm. guy who's like the strongest man in the world. And then you see him, you're like, what? How's this possible? But he's like lifting people through like cheesy effects. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> kind of like when Burgess Meredith was experimented on by aliens in the Twilight Zone and like became like super strong <laughs> or whatever. And the third, Boris Karloff, he's just an art dealer. And, oh, you'll love this one. Again, I'm doing spoilers, but listen to the episodes. Kyle and I have so much fun. Don Rickles, who is in the second and the third one, as weird as it is, so in the second one, he runs, he's like the manager of all the muscle men. And in the third one, he runs a drag race strip slash, like, restaurant and bar. And one of the characters says, hey, you look familiar. And he literally goes like, yeah, I was a different guy, essentially, in the last movie. Regardless, so his secondary passion is like uh, postmodernist paintings, like Jackson Pollock. And he'll paint these paintings. And at one point, the monkey in the movie gets a paintbrush and starts painting a painting. And Oh, amazing. <laughs> and um, uh, Boris Karloff, as the art like critic and dealer, comes in and he's just like, this is amazing, who painted this? You know, to the monkey's painting. And that's his role in that. So it's not even scary, it's just like, what? <laughs> What blows my mind, too, is that none of these are like, hey, it's Vincent Price. And he's like, hello, children. (laughs) Like, None of them are going by name either, which is exactly what I would have expected out of what is, from what I understand, sort of like a, not really a movie, but more of like a proto-music video, Hard Day's Night ripoff type extended variety show hour kind of movie situation going on. Speaking of Hard Day's Night in the third one, they were so like anti-Beatles because surf music at, at that time is anti-Beatles and also uh, Frankie Avalon kind of music, anti-Beatles. Dick Dale with the surf rock and all that. Yeah, so Frankie Avalon has dual roles in the third film and he plays the Beatles knockoff called The Potato Bug and he does like such a shitty <laughs> Beatles accent. It's, it's more Austin Powers than the Beatles we know today because as I said to Kyle, What's 1964 for the Beatles? We hardly know them, you know? So they're like, this is what British people do. And it's just more, again, more like foppish Austin Powers than anything. It's it's insane. It's insane. Like That's very enlightening to me because there's a episode of the comedy Bang Bang IFC TV show where, because of global warming, the beach comes up into the studio and it becomes like a beach party. And then there's a Scott Ackerman, the host, plays a British version of himself that is like a Beatles-esque music star and i wonder if you know well not not, i don't wonder anymore i'm kind of certain that they're riffing on that particular movie and not any other beach blanket film mike definitely definitely and i've concluded this that like when famous people do movies that are parodies all they do is just watch the movies in the genre you guys on a tom tom club on the cruise show right like you cover tropic thunder when you watch tropic thunder you realize that Ben Stiller probably he saw Platoon, he saw Full Metal Jacket, he saw all those movies, and there are direct lines from all those movies in that film. Another example that, if they keep me, I'll talk about on uh, Too Fast Too Forever. I'm not sure if it's a Patreon release or not, but I'm gonna spoiler be on the uh, Ricky Bobby episode. And one of my favorite things about Ricky Bobby is also cruise related. Clearly, Will Ferrell watched Days of Thunder because there's a lot of Days of Thunder shit in there. But also, there was this ESPN movie about Dale Earnhardt's life called Three that nobody saw, that I just happened to watch. And so many of the stupid shit in that movie comes from 
three, like that Dale Earnhardt movie. Like, if you ain't first, you're last, like shit like that, you know? So, I mean, I, th- I think this is related to your overall show, too, because there are great third films, don't get me wrong, and you need to have me on Ragnarok, I demand that. But there are certain third films that just try to take elements from previous films or derivative stuff, you know what I mean? And just hodgepodge it in to try to satisfy everyone, you know? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I don't know, maybe today we'll discuss some of that. It's incredible how, like, even I'm sure stuff from those Beach Party movies are going to show up here today in the film that we are talking about, Revenge of the Nerds 3, The Next Generation. You know, it is in the long, long tradition, for better or worse, of, uh, if not teenage movies, adolescent coming-of-age screwball comedies. 100%. Brian, thank you very much for joining me today. I mean, I was not aware that, you know, not that this was a chore or anything, but I just thought it was going to be a better film, but I guess I should have known a little better, it being, you know, Revenge of the Nerds series and everything. (laughs) Before we get into it too deep, do you have any kind of background on the previous Revenge of the Nerds films? Because this was, you grew up in, you know, like seven or eight years is sort of a bit of a generation gap when it comes to like media consumption. And I, I always kind of grew up with Revenge of the Nerds. The first one was in 84. Second one was in 87. This one's 91. But but you, was this anywhere in your childhood or your teenage years? Had you seen any of these movies before? Childhood, yes. So I'm not like a diehard Revenge of the Nerds fan. I have not seen them. Oh, I hope there aren't any. But... <laughs> I haven't seen them like multiple times. But when I was a kid, and you know, you and I grew up in the same area, Channel 11, WPIX used to run Saturday morning movies, Sunday morning movies. And I definitely saw both Revenge of the Nerds on there. You know what I mean? Like as like your feature presentation. I remember things even watching today from them. I was aware of the characters. But another franchise that I know we're definitely going to bring up, because to me they go hand in hand, that I saw on there was Police Academy films, right? And they kind of blur together. And Mike, you're so right about the beach party thing. I think I would have hated this movie so much more if I hadn't been watching all these beach party films. But the beach party movies are really a precursor to Police Academy, which is not an adolescent film, but it's still like a screwball comedy. And this in terms of, oh, this worked? Let's just keep making more and more and more and more. And get screwier and screwier and screwier. Yeah, yeah, and they just get less realistic, more cartoonish. They go from an R rating to basically a PG rating, sometimes to a Saturday morning cartoon themselves or or a uh, TV show, what have you. This particular outing, Nerds 3 and 4, were television movies on on Fox, which makes a little more sense. But Mm. you're so right. This has sort of a connection to Police Academy. And, you know, we mentioned monkey club earlier i sort of wish i kind of had my slobs versus snobs expert on uh, over here tonight Kristen larson because we're going to do that whole jocks versus nerds or or more accurately i guess would say like misfits versus authority uh, i think is sort of more general better way to put it like especially back in those beach party days when those kids weren't necessarily delinquents they were just you know from a different generation you know so i could imagine a lot of like the old people in those movies screaming at the young folks just for dancing but the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yes and no, but there's an overarching thing that I definitely want to mention with both of these franchises that just, it doesn't translate to today with who the heroes are necessarily. I think Police Academy is obvious, like cops aren't the most popular people, 
these days in all circles, right? But when it comes to Revenge of the Nerds, the nerds won, and they've won for the last 20 years. Nerds are going to space now. <laughs> we don't like nerds anymore. They control our lives. They monitor us. You know what I mean? It's Animal Farm. They became the hierarchy. They did. Yeah, Elon Musk, like, I mean, you know, Jeff Bezos, the Apple guy, Steve Jobs, right? The nerds inherited the Earth, and maybe they shouldn't have. <laughs> I'm not sure. And you know, Mike, that I am a uh, high school film expert and podcast host but i do love me a college movie i love college movies i love road trip i love a bunch of stuff there's got to have been an american pie yeah american pie 2 is college but one of my favorite college films is the social network which is about a tech rich asshole nerd you know what i mean (laughs) oh right that one too yeah 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 (laughs) yeah exactly that is the Revenge of the Nerds. We are that, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we are living in the Revenge of the Nerds, and it's not good for us. It's not good for us. Everything we're doing is because of the nerds, and they control everything. So I'm not that I support the jocks either. You know what I mean? But it's like I don't know at this point. I don't know who should win. I know it's rough. It's not, and that's not to say that there aren't benevolent nerds. And like even Lewis comes around at the end of this, and you know uses his powers for good, and and you know finds his way again. But it's kind of interesting. Like not that this movie gets that deep into it or anything but like they got what they wanted or at least lewis the main character from the first two movies he gets what he wants and and he doesn't even realize that he became what he hated so that's kind of like i I, they i wish they kind of went more into like the psychology of that like i know this sounds boring as hell but i'm gonna be 42 so like i want like the sopranos version where the nerd is going to the shrink and being like when did i become the jock why does everyone hate the nerd like what is going on with my life i am so confused that's why could there be another Revenge of the Nerds film? Sure, but it would not be against like jocks like this traditionally. Maybe the nerds are bad guys in the new one. Or maybe it's like an introspective look of like... That's why, again, Lewis or Lou, his arc, while I wasn't necessarily entertained by it, and a lot of it was like super cheesy, it made the most sense, right? Like, hey, nerd, you sold out because money pollutes everything. Wow, I sound like a freaking Che Guevara today, but you know what I mean. I'll, I'll, t- I'll give you a little history with the franchise that I've had. Like, you know, I, I remember watching these movies and as a kid and before I should have, right? Because they were sexy and risque and there's a lot of, like, nudity and, and blue humor and sex jokes and weed and stuff and things that, like, before you're 10, you normally shouldn't watch and everything like that. But, like, you know, upon revisiting, like, the first movie alone, like, Lewis is a horrible person from the jump. He is just one track mind like he just he wants and and he's called out for it at the end of that movie by his friends and stuff but like he does want to be where he is in this movie it seems like he wants that attention he wants the hot girl like he's just very materialistic right like he's all about status and stuff um and he gets that and so it's weird that like that's what he wanted and he wins but it's like it it almost feels like the end of this movie he finally does learn who he is which is bizarre to say because it's a TV movie that went right to video, but here we are. (laughs) I actually have this on VHS, so Brian, if I can steal your thunder for a minute and read the back of the box. Please do. And then we'll get into sort of a quick discussion about some of this cast, and then a little general discussion on the flick itself. But, Revenge of the Nerds 3, The Next Generation, it's the new era at Adams College. The nerds have taken over, making the Tri-Lambda fraternity the most popular house on campus. But when Alpha Beta alumni Oren Price, played by none other than Morton Downey Jr. Oh, I want to talk about this. <laughs> and Officer Gable, Ted McGinley, back from the first movie, 
and also his stint on the Fox show Married with Children, launch a sneaky campaign to regain their former turf for dumb jocks. Freshman nerds Harold and Ira are forced to call in the cavalry. Former nerd king Lewis, Robert Carradine, Booger, and all the legendary original nerds. Not true. Armed <laughs> with their trusty pocket protectors, it's all-out war. Also not true. <laughs> so that's the back of the box. Yeah, the movie is about the next generation. Says it right on the cover. All, all new nerds come to Adams College. Starts pretty interestingly where it's like, oh, it's a nerdtopia. You know, like everything is, like you said, they've taken over. It's uh, been assimilated. Everything is uh, computer labs this, science lab that. The jocks are regulated to some hole in the wall where they just drink beer and mull about wishing that they were friends with nerds. Which, which is so unrealistic, Mike. It's so unrealistic. I, I like seeing it. but uh, <laughs> So when I was, I don't want to say growing up, but when I was in my 20s, if you know, way back when, like 10 years ago, there was a big war among the youth, right? There was the hipsters on one side with their beards and craft beer. And their top knots. Top knots, yeah, exactly. Like man buns and, and just artisanal this and artisanal that. And everything was wood. You know, tablecloths were done. And then on the other side were like, I don't know if Guido's is politically correct these days, but we'll say like the club people, you know? <laughs> clubbers? Okay. Yeah, the clubbers. And they were clean-shaven tight shirts, gelled up hair, very manicured. The metrosexuals. Yeah, exactly. Was, they, they were was a term at one. They were calling them the metrosexuals at one point, right? That seems dated as well. But like in the like 10 years ago or so, these two people not openly hated oh. each other. It wasn't like a war or anything. Oh, I mean, I remember there were there were battles in the streets, there were bodies everywhere, <laughs> I mean, it was on the local news. It was a clash of two different lifestyles in New York, right? Like a craft brewery is so different than a mega club. And then the war didn't end with one thing or another. The culture just assimilated together. My cousin is like the king, not Cousin Pumpkin for those who listen. Uh, I was just about to say. <laughs> no, too, too young for that. I mean, though he was in the clubs way too young. That's another story. Cousin PlayStation? Do you have a cousin PlayStation? Be- <laughs> no. No, my cousin Michael Conrad. He was club promoter, Mr. Club. I've heard about him, though, right? He was sort of Pumpkin's mentor at one yes, point. Yes, he right? was. Yes, he was. We, <laughs> I've had him on my show as well. Just club, 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 seven days a week, clubbing. Elwood. Elwood. They're trying to set the mood. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. Now, my, my cousin Michael, he's moved to Dallas since then. He's had a man bun and a beard since then. And he operates a pop-up food stand at various breweries in the Dallas area. What happened between them? What's the world coming to? Well, the cultures combined, right? There was assimilation. Again, if this was real, as absurd as this is, there would have been a somewhat of a not harmony but like an assimilation of cultures not like one winning over the other if that makes sense music i'm glad you're bumping that though music listen to like indie music today there's club beats under it oh yeah yeah you know bringing the synth across genres and yeah you know experimenting like it used to be you know you only use that instrument for that type of song and now it's like wow no holds barred like anything goes absolutely and if you're a revenge of the nerds three super fan and you're disappointed that we're not getting into the movie too much i apologize but i feel like we're we're elevating the film a little bit by this kind of conversation but brian like what you're talking about is what i felt and what i think most people looking back feel like the original movie should have ended like that with some sort of borg-esque assimilated harmony of some kind (laughs) 
where, yeah, there's this new star baby that was half jock, half nerd, you know, and the future looked great. You know, there's hints of that at the end of this, you know, not to skip to the end, spoilies and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the one, the jock character that we have back, Stan Gable from the first movie, never left town. He became a cop. You know, he likes having that authority. He's still a jock because he has a uniform and he can like push people around and everything. But at the end of the movie, he comes around and and he like puts on the nerd gear. Like he, he comes across the aisle. Same with Ogre at the end of the second movie. If you haven't seen that, nerd in paradise the nerds go down to florida there's like a uh convention for all of the fraternities and bradley whitford is like the evil frat leader the nerds get like banished to some island and ogre goes along with them and he becomes like a super nerd at the end of that movie they kind of like almost got there they tried you know but that's certainly something they'd have to do if they ever thought of rebooting this it's like exactly what you're talking about you need you need that blend that like balance of both worlds somewhere yeah, and the idea of the nerd too, right? Like, what is a nerd today? A nerd culture is super cool. You know, it's not ostracized. It's not something that they laugh at. Like, if I dressed up as a nerd to a Halloween party, people would be like, "What? Like, you don't look different." You know what I mean? It's always just a derogatory term for someone that's an outsider or someone that's different than what society deems the normal. So, like in the in the '80s, being a jock. Playing football was always considered, quote unquote, manly, all right, whatever that means, okay? Like going back to labeling issues from the turn of the century and beyond, all kinds of going back mm-hmm. problems for because of who was in charge of this shit and all that. But like, let's just take it from the 80s, okay? To be tough, not to cry or show your feelings and all this kind of shit. And like the first movie really goes to lengths to say the nerd isn't a uniform. You can't just identify it because they wear black glasses and a pocket protector. It's like, you know, there's Lamar, who is a gay kid, right? There's people from all walks of life who are considered outsiders. And so now those people, I'm, I'm not going to say they're they're not still ostracized. It's not like they're not still being segregated or any. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not still, it's not like it's great or anything like that. But the nerd moniker doesn't necessarily apply the, in the same way anymore to the same people. So now, uh, like, I don't know what you would really classify as sort of the nerd these days if it is the silicon valley guy (laughs) what's funny is you do see a lot of not in all places because sometimes they are very inclusive in the movies but in terms of like just general sexism in the movies that was true of a lot of movies in this era so i'm not picking on revenge of the nerds necessarily but like silicon valley is like the most sexist place in america right like again the nerds winning (laughs) quote-unquote, and I'm doing air quotes, wasn't necessarily the best thing, necessarily. And nerd culture is mainstream culture these days. Just like hip-hop culture became mainstream culture these days, right? I don't know what the equivalent of a nerd is today. You and I are obviously older, but I think about people who are growing up now, you know, kids 10 years old. Like, what is their definition of a nerd? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard because for me, it is like if you can independently fund yourself to go to space like Elon Musk, I want to be able to call that guy the modern nerd, okay? But I'm not even entirely sure that that applies. I know I said it way at the beginning of the show and stuff like dudes like that, you know, but I'm still not even sure, you know, because like look at anybody who's just sort of not even a genius in their field, but knows a lot of shit about stuff. Like look at a guy like Tarantino, right? He's like a total film nerd. That's the way the term is sort of applied these days. But no of, one takes it as negative, right? Like That's it, the difference. Exactly. Like, it's flipped. It's 
you're right. It's it's an interesting thing for a word to do throughout a culture, right? It's like certain curse words and, and stuff. Oh, for sure. Again, going back to my show, High School Slumber Party, Anthony Michael Hall in a lot of versions of The Breakfast Club or 16 Candles, right? Like he's known literally as just the geek. And that was like a negative. And geek is a little bit different, right? There's an actual definition originally, right? Like the circus term of a guy who bites heads off of chickens or something? Something like that. Something like that. But regardless, right? I don't know. Too, not too many people claim geek like that like so the wording is different but he is a nerd and in the movie just because of the fact that like he's smart especially the breakfast club right he's smart he doesn't do anything wrong essentially and he might not have the best social skills like that in the movie makes it Ugh, get away from me but like today i don't think our generation was that much like that i think kids today are definitely not like that i'm sure someone else is being ostracized i'm not sure who and that was part of the fun of watching this movie too just to see like oh my god he's a nerd he has a pocket protector he laughs like that like it's just it's such a stereotype of the era so like again back to my halloween point if i were to dress up for halloween as a nerd it would be an 80s nerd because how else would you identify me yeah funny enough like that's sort of what steve jobs and and bill gates like these guys like if you look at like wozniak right like this is that generation as well that they're now all grown up those are the nerds that those are the guys who were like in their garage they came home from seeing revenge of the nerds and were like yeah we're gonna take over (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna do that but for real uh, let's get a, let's get a little into the movie. This movie itself. Let's go a little through the cast. Legacy characters we have returning. Um, we mentioned Ted McGinley a little bit uh, as Stan Gable back from the original movie. Did you watch Married with Children a lot? Did you remember him from that show? I definitely remember him from Married with Children. I'm not like a Married with Children expert, but I've watched it enough to know his very distinct character in that. Yeah, I remember when his wife Darcy had a prior, uh, previous husband, and then shows up with him, and uh, everyone starts to go nuts because he was super handsome. Are you, by the way, I just, again, not to deviate, but are you familiar with the, the Ted McGinley theory about the actor? I don't know about the theory, but I'll just say, like, like Treat Williams, he's one of those guys that just missed it, in my mind. Like, he's one of these guys that could have been in a couple of those action movies instead of Seagal or Arnold or whoever, Stallone, you know? Like, you could have done a couple more things with with these guys, and I think they would have been genuine stars. So I, I have no idea about any kind of conspiracy behind the guy. I know his character was a gold digger on Married with Children. Like, he's only with Darcy for the money at first, but please continue. So they actually mocked this on Married with Children because he already had that reputation. It's not him, but he's like the sign of... So let me backtrack a little. In basketball, there used to be this player, Darko Milicek, he was drafted ahead of Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Brosh, and right after LeBron James, where all great players, he didn't end up being a great player. But when he was on the Pistons and they were winning championships or playing very well, whenever he was in the game, they used to call him the human victory cigar. Because if he played, the game was probably over, right? McGinley has a similar reputation on sitcoms. He's known that if he appears on your sitcom, your show is in the toilet and it's already jumped the shark. <laughs> and there is a li- there's like there are people who keep a list of this online of like how many shows he joined that just like jumped the shark either right before or right after it's like in 10 and i think there's a married with children episode i'm pretty sure that like mocks this because he had already done it a couple times before that and then even after that like he'll join the cast like joining the cast ted mcginley and it's like oh, oh no <laughs> we're even- in our final season <laughs> 
So yeah, I just want as a sitcom guy, I wanted to bring him up. He's very famous in sitcom lore. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking at his <laughs> resume now. He was on everything. He did almost 170 episodes of Married with Children, so it's not necessarily like that show was at its end. But you know what? It was sort of that show retooled once or twice. That show had other issues, but uh, yeah, I think they kind of treated him as like when like Growing Pains would have a new baby just to boost the ratings. It's like they brought him in because he was so handsome, and everyone else on the show kind of was like depicted as trashy looking, I guess. You know, more like white trash. <laughs> exactly, and I'm reading now that was totally on purpose wow the genius of that show like they brought him in for because he had that reputation and it was it was on purpose <laughs> that, like not that the, the show was going to shit but it was like oh we're in our later seasons okay here's this regular guy who's you know i think again he played a con man on the show it's showing i didn't realize it was a con man but <laughs> it's just oh amazing. yeah 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 like he was he i mean well that was the whole thing he was like a gold digger for darcy's money and like he was only going to stick with it for the money and once that ran out i think he was going to just disappear divorce but like the ratings didn't go down so they wanted to keep him around so i think they figured out a way to like blackmail him to like stick around or something like yeah so apparently the love boat literally happy days he joined the cast which is where the jumping the shark trope comes from and dynasty were three shows before married of the children that he joined in the later seasons and they just like tanked after that not because of him just you know (laughs) coincidence wow that's awesome love that Let's do a couple more people in this cast. Uh, another legacy character, Curtis Armstrong, returning as Bulger. Yeah. And if you ask me, a little too little too late. Like he and, and I think the producers knew because Revenge of the Nerds for Nerds in Love is Booger getting married. It's Booger's wedding. So <laughs> they realized that of everybody, Curtis Armstrong was uh, still had his chops. Is great in this. You know him very well from your show, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Mike, the the first episode of High School Slumber Party ever, you were there, and we covered Better Off Dead, so Curtis Armstrong was on that, of course. And about his performance here, how did you feel? I'm never going to say no to Curtis Armstrong. I'm never going <laughs> to say no to him. I liked the character and the element of it, because it was also, what, what, what year was this? 1991. What year is the first Revenge of the Nerd? 84. A lot had changed in the culture even then. And this being a TV movie, as you said, which I didn't realize, thank you for letting me know about that, because that makes total sense. Like, he's trying to do things from the original movie that were just, in 1992, not even flying, you know? Even today wouldn't fly. So I love him trying to bring it in, and them kind of, like, course-correcting him, because... It's one, honestly one of the most intelligent parts of the movie, in my mind. There's not a lot of them. The fact that they're able to like bring this character, he's awesome, he's having fun, and they're like, wait a minute, there's no drugs here? Exactly. And no, I feel the same way. It's like, oh, the core of that guy was great because, again, like the furthest thing uh, from nerd looking, you know, if you're going to be stereotypical about it, right? Like, Booger was a metalhead. Like, he had the leather jacket. He looked like MCA from the Beastie Boys, right? Like, the blue jeans, the ripped white teeth shirt the leather jacket like i thought of him more as like a rocker or something like that that is true that's a good point and it's cool to see now he's like a good lawyer like he got a job in the way that you think that you know a very intelligent uh, student would to be classified as a nerd in the 90s and uh, the 80s and, and but this this brings me to what i wish there was more of and what i'm curious if it shows up in the next movie because we're only really going to get aside from lewis and betty we're only like lamar shows up for like two seconds at the end and i wish this was more about where are they now where what happened to our beloved guys like there has to be maybe 
someone's in the hospital and they all have to like reconnect. I, the more I was watching this, the less I cared about the next generation, and the more I was just sort of like, where where are the nerds all grown up from the first movie? I'm having trouble attaching to the new guys and girls. Well, Robert Carradine is one of the lead producers here. And I think this movie suffers from exactly what you said. I would have actually preferred one or the other, not this like half story. If you want to pass the torch, you can't be in it that much. You can cameo, but it was both that movie where let's bring back the old characters and let's pass the torch to a nephew or whatever. And that again, I don't know. It didn't fly. With a f- me. Yeah, a formula still tricky to execute. You know, just look at the Star Wars movies when mm, Force Awakens call. came out and people were like, well, even Harry Harrison Ford is in that too much. Yeah, so I sort of feel the same way, not even just about Lewis, but about Stan. It's like we have a villain that we're going to talk about now who stands on his own, and I don't really think we needed Ted McGinley back, even though he probably was just hanging around the Fox lot anyway. But what the hell is Morton Downey Jr. (laughs) doing here? For, For the young kiddos who listen to your show, I don't know if they have any idea who Martin Downey Jr. is. <laughs> I hardly have an idea. You know, like... Do you know him from wrestling? Yes, exactly. I like, knew you would I, know him from... Yeah, so I, I know him from, like, a Channel 9 talk show and wrestling. Yeah, he had a very famous interaction with Roddy Piper in a wrestling ring. He was a shock jock slash... Not Jerry Springer. Like, he was just, like, a shock jock slash, like, T... He would have been, but he was kind of before Springer, even before Stern in a lot of ways. Yeah, he's like a Stern meets Jerry Springer kind of thing. And on TV and radio. And he really was not that much of an actor. He was very much himself. And in this film, I didn't know he was in Predator 2. We saw that together. Sorry, I'm looking at his IMDb. I do not remember that. Los Tribe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember him in Predator 2. Yeah, I think he plays like a shock jock TV reporter that gets predatored. That makes sense. But he was famous in the era. He always, always had a cigarette in his mouth. The guy smoked so many packs of cigarettes Constantly, constantly. Guess what he died from? Lung cancer. Oh, a a piano fell on his head. (laughs) But in this... Like, I almost wish he played it closer to the Morton Downey Jr. character he played on the show. He was just like a guy. It was like, you know? Here's my hottest take of this movie. He's okay. He's not bad. It's just confusing. It's very confusing. Like, this should have been Rodney Dangerfield, right? Like, it's 1991. What's he doing? Ladybugs? He would get him to be the villain in Revenge of the Nerds. It would be a great twist on how he used to be the hero in all of the party movies, you know? Uh, You could maybe do a little play on that, and I'd love to see him get, like, all frustrated and annoyed and go, like, oh, I'm going to get those nerds. (laughs) But I was super confused when Morton Downey Jr. hit the scene, and he didn't go away. That's what was insane. I thought it was a cameo. Yeah, no, it was not. <laughs> like, I'm just dropping my kid off at Adams College, and then he's like, what happened to this place? You know who needs to turn this place around? I'm going to take it upon myself to turn this place around. He's from even the older school. He, like, graduated there in the 60s, right? So he's like, we never even heard. He's like, what is that anyway? What is a nerd? It's like, it's nerd, Dad. Like, that needed to be the scene, right? Where he, like, didn't even know how to pronounce the word nerd because, like, he'd never seen one before is the way he's acting. It's incredible. You cannot underrate the impact that Morton Downey Jr. had on TV, for better or worse. Probably for worse, but... Oh, definitely for worse. Definitely. That show only ran from 1987 to 1989. That's it. 
but it pioneered that aspect. It pushed the censors, right? It pushed the it pushed what advertisers would tolerate in a lot of ways, right? I think he was trying to make that point, and I think you know at the end of the day that was a character. I think this guy that he's playing is probably a lot closer to who he really is—just an actor, right? A guy playing a role all the time, though. Like it's a persona in a way. So like like wrestling, he felt in real life like a manager to one of those dudes who just didn't have a buff guy to follow around. For sure. And you know what? Like seeing the show Shelf Life and seeing when this film came out, he probably was more, hey, down on his luck. I'm kind of a name. Let me try to transition into acting rather than the cameo thing because the cameo would have been a little bit outdated. So that actually makes sense. And I'm sure he even got some mileage out of being confused with Robert Downey Jr. at some point, you know, (laughs) even though they're ages apart and look nothing alike and have completely different careers. Uh, Anything else on Morton before we move on? I think I've exhausted all I know about Morton Tony Jr. Let's, let's talk Geraldo Rivera. Yeah, there was nothing in Al Capone's vault, but it wasn't <laughs> Geraldo's fault. Uh, he also got hit in the face with a chair, famously, which was parodied in an Austin Powers movie, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> let's talk about John Panette real quick. Do you remember John Panette? Oh my god, yeah. Seeing him in this, I'm like, is that John Panette? Oh, yeah. So good to see him in this. I mean, rest in peace, John Panette, gone too soon. Terrific stand-up. I'm sure it's up on YouTube somewhere, but I remember when I was in high school, so that would have been probably after this movie came out, Comedy Central would run his stand-up ad nauseum. And also Henry Cho, the guy in here who's the Korean Texan cowboy Elvis impersonating guy. I didn't even realize that was him. Yeah, interesting character there, huh? He's from South Korea, so... Yeah, the Deep South. So it was cool to see them. I was like, oh, that would almost be as if the next kind of like young crop of comedians, you know, instead of doing Drunk History, they uh, a couple of them showed up in a nerds movie uh, that went straight to Comedy Central or something like that. Maybe a bigger surprise than Morton Downey Jr., Grant Heslov, who has quite an incredible film history. I mean, you got to start somewhere. I'm not sure if this was even his first movie. I mean, best friend of his, George Clooney and him and, you know, Oscar winners, Good Night and Good Luck, all that. But even George started in a Killer Tomatoes movie. So it was kind of charming to see Grant Heslov actually not phoning it in, like doing his best, being like, this is a gig and I need it, is the way it felt. So that was kind of cool. And who was he in the movie? I mean, he's Mason. I only know him because I recognize. I could not tell you, like, what his character's traits were or anything. But he's kind of a scrawny-looking guy. He's got, like, very curly hair, kind of a dark complexion. Oh, interesting. Was, uh, you know, notably best friends with George Clooney for a while. Oh, that that I know. (laughs) No, that I know. I just didn't realize it was in the movie. I didn't even notice him. Yeah, it's funny because, like, he shows up in a lot of stuff throughout the 90s. You're right, yeah. Now that I see a picture of him in the film... Duh. Wow. I can't believe I missed him. <laughs> yeah, he's even in True Lies with Arnold and stuff. Yeah, you're right. It's a lot of fun. Congo. That's why I remember him. Congo, yeah. <laughs> Clancy Brown shows up for like one scene as a gas station attendant. That was awesome. Clancy Brown just joined the cast of John Wick 4. Super random. That's random. Uh, I ha- How about uh, Chi McBride? He was the leader of the fraternity now. That guy's in tons of stuff. If you Gone in 60 seconds, I thought you'd recognize him from. Oh, that's right. He's part of the crew, right? The Terminal, another movie you've covered. He's in that. Um, but he, he, he got really famous for like Boston Public. He was in that show Pushing Daisies that people love that was only one season. Uh, Waiting, Waiting, which is Kyle's covered that. So many guys in that movie. Sorry. 
Sean Whalen, did you recognize him by any chance? I mean, you've covered him before. He was in Twister. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So many people here are like, oh, oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, that's a, that was sort of part of the fun. Michael McDonald, he was on, I think, Mad TV at the time. He shows up here in one scene as like a DJ. Yeah. It, it was kind of like keeping me going. Like, who else might pop up in this movie? I'll always remember Michael McDonald from a bunch of things, but like uh, in Austin Powers, he's that one guy who's like uh, the steamroller is going to run him over and it's like, stop! <laughs> I wrote down uh, Bernie Casey comes back. I love Bernie Casey. UN Jefferson, but he's the teacher in, I mean, he's a legend, but he's the teacher in uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. James Cromwell, briefly. Oh, he does show back up? I wasn't sure if that was him or if I was just reading the cast list wrong. Okay, what was he doing, man? I mean, he should have been uh, filming, like, a real movie. Like, he's pretty prestigious. <laughs> I mean, like, up until a certain point, he was pretty known as pretty prestigious, but then he started showing up in, like, Spider-Man 3 and fucking iRobot and shit, and it's like, James Cromwell, come on, man. I, I, I don't know. I always thought you were more of, like, a serious actor. I think Babe really took him to the next level, so... You know who didn't show up? Anthony Edwards. Yeah. So when they're like, Gilbert, at the very end, and this fucking guy turns around, I was laughing so hard. Why, yeah, why have those people? Why, just like, say they didn't show up, you know what I mean? It was so unnecessary to have him back as a character at that moment. The only thing I could think of is, oh, maybe they were trying to spin this off into a TV show, so they wanted to do that, and they're going to just start recasting old characters, mixing them up with the new ones, that kind of situation. But no. <laughs> That's pretty much, you know, everyone, I think, notable. The I mean, Julia Montgomery comes back from the first movie as well, sure. but Betty is just kind of stuck in a hot tub the whole movie. I, I don't even really want to talk about it. Until, like, the very end, there's, like, all jokes about hot tub and her just being a dime piece and but that's the series like i'm not forgiving it but i wasn't surprised either right like it's true i guess that's also part of the story is like you don't want to see the way lewis turned out you don't want this to be the way like it got to his head and it's not that crazy today it's not that crazy today for a nerd to be married to a, a hot lady, right? But back then, I think they were trying to get people to be like, oh my god, the nerd got married to this hot girl. It wasn't even so much that. It was just the way that like he treated her. You know what I'm saying? Oh, he like, treated her terribly. Story. And she was like a, se a sex object, especially for TV. You know I, mean, I mean, but she was like, hey, Stan, we were just about to get in the hot tub. Why don't you join us? I'm like, bro, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the show's almost over. Let's get into the movie. Do we have to? Well, that was sort of the whole point of dragging the rest of the show out was the joke was going to be, oh, we ran out of time. Like, there's <laughs> we can't talk about the movie. But is there anything, were there any, like, scenes? Because we brought up a lot of sort of the talking points as we were mentioning characters through the actor playing them. Uh, so, like, is there anything that you want to bring up, though, that, you know, is really, you're really itching to talk about? Let's see, the rap song, no. The music in here was terrible. The rap song, no. I wrote rap song, yes. <laughs> you liked it? No, I didn't like it. Oh. However, I appreciated it because there was a rap song in the second movie, and there oh. was, like, always a, a nerd theme song, too. Like, the first movie had literally a song called Revenge of the Nerds. The second one yes. worked the term nerds, nerds in Paradise, and this has an opening nerd song, but then the nerd rap as well. Boss it! Try Here we go. Vampa, Vampa, Vampa is our fraternity. We are her loyal subjects because she is our queen. We have no group excluded. 
Let's see what I had. Three of them in the hot tub. We talked about that. We talked about most of the stuff up. Pledging the fraternity, whatever. <laughs> oh, heck week? You can't use your computer for a week. <laughs> I like how they referred to Lewis as the George Washington of nerds. Okay. I thought that was cool. <laughs> that was a cool nickname. Oh, the Omega New thing, I did not... I, Omega Moo. Omega Moo, sorry. As much as I understood it from the booger point of view, they've already integrated their fraternity uh the lamba 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 there are girls in there and they're like let's celebrate with chicks it's like wait a minute how does that benefit everyone that's an excellent point maybe if the omegas came in and there were some guys in their sorority then you'd be like oh i get it and then booger can be like what is going on in this school i gotta update quick i've gotta be mr booger now booger 2.0 nope (laughs) it didn't happen look other than that i think we shoehorned in all the things i wanted to talk about noticeable commercial breaks right like they you could kind of see where those were um oh uh, remind me what your venmo is i owe you like four bucks for the rental (laughs) all good all good (laughs) there's just some really sort of shoddy made for tv filmmaking all around like i i almost feel like even this there wasn't anything wrong with the plot per se okay there's not even anything wrong with like the characters or the actors per se the problem here is the budget it feels like three episodes of a tv series the camera never moved right everything is just on sticks the whole time it gives this this very static television vibe okay and like that was something the 90s really kind of struggled with like not like today where like television and movies like where's the line now like there really is none like you could have an amazing television show like chernobyl okay like i would go watch that in a theater over like five or six nights so the level of craft just isn't there like and and i think it's more damaging than one would realize when you're taking a franchise from the silver screen to the TV screen. So for me, I think that's its ultimate downfall. Is like if it just wasn't a rushed out made for TV movie, and maybe if, like we mentioned a little previously, if it could decide whether it just wanted to stick with the new kids or, or all the old folks, it could have worked out a little better. Let's, I'll just say that. Yeah, look, I, I couldn't agree more. It wasn't a bad movie in a sense that I'm like, oh my god, it was so bad. I have so much to talk about. It just, just felt like it didn't need to exist. I mean, the nephew and a friend, like, okay, I don't know. It's like a soft reboot. There's a lot of retreading the first one, but then they try to work in the new ideas that like the nerds are now have the jock status and the jocks are the losers and that kind of situation there. You know, it's just it doesn't have really any real teeth to it. You know, there's just no bite the way that I guess the previous movies had. Maybe and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. I'm not sure. You know, it's hard to say because the previous ones were more lewd and you you really they just went from an R to a to a G and and you just really feel that. Yeah. you're right it's just i'm trying to think of a way to like save the movie but i don't think they necessarily cared about that either i think it was just you know they got their money for the tv rights and they're like great we could do this again my final word is like you're you know it's not even like best of the worst status like if anything it's like just it's fine like i even found myself by the end going like oh like it actually kind of got better as it went along uh especially once curtis armstrong showed up i was way more reinvested at that point but then he's kind of gone just as soon so how about how about if instead of a uh, caradine or whatever it's uh curtis armstrong in that kind of role as like maybe not necessarily the sal or maybe the sal but you know what i mean like the mentor 
again, I would have liked to have seen him more. On my show, we have the Wooderson Award, the character who you would like to see more of. It would be him for me. I think on that note, we might as well just wrap this up. <laughs> Way to go back to school, huh? Well, I haven't done anything kind of like thematic in a while. And I was like, it's going to be a September release. I wonder if there's any school related movies out there. We're kind of saving the Twilight Part 3 for a certain thing. I don't really want to do High School Musical. I was like, well, I'll settle for college. You know, how bad could Nerds 3 really be? (laughs) Well, Mike, it doesn't matter. I'm happy to be on. It's almost a back to school for me because I'm back to the third times a charm roster. So appreciate that. Appreciate that. Didn't mean to drag you back from the beach <laughs> too soon or anything, but you know you are now free to go have another drink, put another dog on the grill, and load it up, take a picture of it, make sure there's five different toppings, the Keanu <laughs> Hot Dog Challenge, Summer Never Ends. Why don't you plug where the listeners can find you when you are not the unofficial co-host of this fine program? High school slumber party, as I've said many, many times, uh, we're doing summer, well, we are currently doing summer movies, but by the time this comes out in September, it's reunion month, Mike, we're doing reunion films, we're actually stepping out of high school, kind of, because we're talking movies that feature a high school reunion of sorts, I think you'll be on for one of them, I have to recheck the schedule, but uh, you all know some of your favorite reunion films, we're going to be covering them. Romy and Michelle's High School Funeral. Romy and Michelle, yes. Gross point blank, perhaps. Exactly. It was a Cusack one. That's going to be fun. And, you know, another year on High School Slumber Party. And, Mike, next year, I look forward to it. It's going to be on a lot, but we have to go back to our quarries. I I mean, as long as we don't have prom next year, I think I'm good. Because, if I'm not mistaken, (laughs) we may have a high school slumber party massacre to attend as well if we're lucky so i can't i can't wait for that that should be fun oh by the way speaking of massacres and four dollars revenge of the nerds 3 was on hbo max up to july 31st so we just missed out oh (laughs) damn (laughs) just missed it i mean i own the vhs i bought it when i started planning out the show and i've held on to it for like four years time to donate it to that christian larson pile Seriously. Well, also, it stinks because the listeners can't now go watch the movie on HBO. They have to pay, like, the four bucks or whatever on Vudu. They can rent it. So here's what we'll do. Mike and I will put our monies together, and if anyone needs $3, because it's the third time's a charm, we will will somehow find a way to it. We'll figure it out. We'll get you a a, a code. But, you know, it'll be a miracle if anybody writes in. Oh, by the way, by the way. Another, by the way, PPS. I love it. PPPPS. All you smart asses who listen to the show who are like friends of ours. All you nerds? Nerds, yes, fine. You do not qualify for this $3 discount. I don't want like the Kyle's. Oh, friends and families excluded, yes. like excluded. all kinds of contests. Yes. Yeah. I don't want the yeah. Joey's of the world to be like, where are my, where's my $3? No, I'm sorry. Yeah, no one, any, so that's it. Anyone named Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just not eligible. That's, anyway, that's anyway. the breaks. My show, my rules. <laughs> Apologies for continuing this episode. No, no, it's okay. On that note. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Mike. Boss it! Try Here we go.
fat And it wouldn't last for long <laughs> But now you're singing this song Come along, come along, come along To the nerd generation Yeah, it's just a nerd generation <laughs> Man, it's just a nerd generation yeah. That's gonna do it for another episode of Third Time's a Charm Gotta thank my unofficial co-host Brian Rodriguez My official school consultant Brian Rodriguez. Thanks again for stopping by, and be sure to check out all of his shows and all the other great shows on cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also hear all the back episodes of this show and all the other shows I'm on, including the original Cage Club. Cage has had three releases this year. The Netflix show, and two movies, and another one set to release very soon, so keep an ear out for our review of Prisoners of the Ghostland. Can't wait for that one. Very excited. Um, Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere else you get podcasts. It's completely free. And write to me at three at cageclub.me. And thanks for listening. Until next time. Three. That's the magic number. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three. Three. They stubbing me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean?